you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. We are wrapping up today a series of messages that we have called bodybuilding. Uh, mostly out of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul has talked about building up the body of Christ. And uh, we have been walking through this, and we've kind of been parked for the last four weeks on this one phrase in Ephesians 4.15, where Paul says that we are to speak the truth in love. And so we talked about truth about four weeks ago, three weeks ago. And then we talked about love in Revelation chapter 2, how we are to be uh, filled with our love for Christ and our love for one another. And then last week we talked about how do we communicate truth kind of on a macro level. How do we communicate truth in a truthless culture? And this morning we're going to take it down to what we might call a micro level. And how do you communicate truth to me? How do I communicate truth to you? Oftentimes when that communication of truth may be difficult, called how do we speak the truth in love when my kids were were smaller um and I, just to be quite honest i kind of miss these days they would they would go in seasons all three of them where they like to color right did your kids do that and so i had to dig around today and find these things i brought the the children's bible story new testament coloring book with me so you would know how spiritual we are at our house and uh and then i brought this easter one so you would know that we like chocolate at our house so i have i have both of those and then we got to the point where you just you don't the Crayola box just falls apart, right? Praise God for a Ziploc, and you just uh, you just toss them in there. And here's how it would work: when when your kids are little, you you teach them to color. In part, it instills that creativity in them, doesn't it? It gives them that opportunity to see things for their own, and it develops fine motor skills. And you try to tell your children you want to color in the lines. I got to be just honest: when I would sit and color with my kids, it was therapeutic. Anybody else? It was like it was. I should start coloring again. It'd be cheaper than counseling, wouldn't it, if I would just color? And um, you tell your kids you, you want to color in the lines. Now, there's moments in life where you say, hey, it's okay to color outside the lines, where you express some creativity and just express yourself and who you are in the inner you. And that's, there's some truth to that, right? It's okay to be creative. It's okay to have an entrepreneurial spirit. It's okay to do what you want to do and at some point to color outside the lines and to do what works for you. But in some places in life, it's not okay to color outside the lines. Is it okay to drive in the left-hand lane in Toledo? No. If you're in London, that's cool. But here, don't drive outside the lines. Stay in them. It's not cool to cheat on your taxes because there's lines that we're supposed to stay within. You can't kill somebody. That's coloring outside the lines. And when we stand before God, and God says, why did you disregard my truth? An acceptable answer is not, God, I'm I'm the kind of dude that just colors outside the lines. Because God has set up for us standards of truth, standards of righteousness. His principles by which we do best if we live our lives And at some point, we'll all stand before God and coloring outside the lines is not an acceptable answer. And so today, we're going to talk for a few moments about what what do I do if I feel that I need to speak the truth in love to someone in my world that I encounter kind of lives a part of their lives coloring outside the lines. They, They live based on their own truth, not on objective Biblical truth, as we've seen, that comes from God's word. There's all kinds of settings and situations where this might happen. Sometimes this happens because you're sharing your faith with somebody. 
Maybe it's that coworker who likes to get into a place of debate with you and kind of prod you a little bit. Maybe it's somebody that you really care about that they have just not received or accepted the reality of God's truth for their lives and you feel like you need to share that. Maybe it's somebody that's a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's somebody that, that you go to church with right here at Calvary and maybe you feel like you need to speak to them about an area in their life that you have just sensed, maybe the Holy Spirit's put on your heart that's outside of the lines of God's best for them. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's an attitude that they've hung on to. Maybe it's some kind of place where they've let an offense or bitterness kind of get in and pull at them. And you feel like maybe God's, God's put in your heart to speak truth to them about that thing, about that habit, about that practice, and help to guide them in what truth can bring to them. Sometimes it's just living the truth out. We, we live in a world where God has spoken clearly to us about morality, but we live in a culture, as we talked about last week, that is very sexually immoral. Or maybe it's ethical lines that are being pushed in the workplace. Maybe it's someone who's looking to you to help them make a decision. Maybe it's a decision about whether or not to go to college. Maybe it's a decision about whether or not to have an abortion. And there's this truth that's in front of you. And you feel like God wants you to speak it to them. It can be difficult. It can be tricky. How do we do that? And I'll just be, um, I'll be super honest with you. Of all the sermons that I've preached in a while, I've felt a lot of pressure about today because we've been talking about truth for the last three weeks. We've opened up some cans of worms in the last three weeks, haven't we? And I've had a lot of people ask questions, and I felt like I had to give the answers to all your questions today because I, Chad Gilligan, am the source of all knowledge. <laughs> Hallelujah, me, right? I mean, it's like, what? I felt this pressure. And then I realized at some point, the best thing that we can do is find in God's word an example for how we are to speak the truth in love. How are we to live out truth for those who need to receive it? Who's the best example in all of scripture of bringing truth and grace to people? It is Jesus himself, isn't it? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 4 today. We're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with, and it's a familiar Bible story for many of us, an encounter he had with a woman at a well in Samaria in John chapter 4. And I want you to watch how he takes truth and brings it to someone who very clearly was not living or even aware of the truth and the life change that comes as a result of this. The next few minutes, let me, let me drop on you today five things to remember when you speak the truth in love. When you've got to interact with someone who's coloring outside the lines let me give you five things to remember when you speak the truth in love here's number one first thing everything begins with relationship number one everything begins with relationship if you're going to communicate truth to somebody it begins with relationship now this is this is not rocket science if you've led in any place whether it be in the workplace even in your family wherever it might be you know that if you have a relationship it's so much more um, beneficial to communicate based on relationship rather than just perceived authority or just trying to force something on someone. Everything begins, including when we have to speak truth to someone, everything begins with relationship. Watch this, this dialogue that happens between Jesus and this woman that he encounters in Samaria. Jesus is going from one part of the nation to the other, and to do that, they have to go through Samaria. And this would be kind of this unique thing where the, the, the easiest way was to go through Samaria. But the Jews didn't like to do it because they did not like the Samaritans. There was literal hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. You'll see this as we go through this story. So watch this. John chapter 4, verse 4. 
Now, he had to go through Samaria in the same way that some Buckeye fans sometimes have to go to Michigan, right? That's kind of how it, kind of how it works. It's just, I'm just trying to help you here, all right? This is how it works. Okay, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What Jesus does here just sounds like striking up a conversation. We do it all the time in a world where we we push equality so much. It's it's no big deal for us just to talk to somebody who's different than us. But not 2,000 years ago. Think of what Jesus did. He crossed racial and national boundaries in even speaking to this woman. For she says right there herself, Jews don't associate with Samaritans, right? Why are you talking to me? Not only that, not only was there this cultural issue, there was also the gender issue that was there. And those lines were much more drawn in that time. So men did not speak to women openly like that, especially not alone in a place where a foreign guy speaks to a foreign woman. This had all kinds of connotations there that were a little bit sketchy, to be quite honest. Jesus really, culturally, maybe shouldn't have been having that conversation with this woman. But he knew he couldn't bring her truth unless first he was able to break down those walls. So he crossed the walls of gender. He crossed the walls of culture and and ethnicity. He also crossed religious barriers there because the Jews, as you'll see in a moment, worship very differently than the Samaritans did. And Jesus knew, I have no opportunity to speak truth to this person's life unless first I have a relationship with them. And here's a couple of things that are so key for us to know. One is this, life will take us through places and to people who are not like us. Life is going to take us through places and to people who are not who are not like us. Have you found that to be true? It'd be nice if everybody was just like me, wouldn't it? (laughs) But they're not. And I'm going to interact with these people. And in doing that, relationship is so critically important because if God has called us as his people to speak the truth in love to those both inside and outside of the body of Christ, there is no opportunity for life change without relationship. Unless there's relationship, unless there's the chance to share, there is no way that that can happen. Now, sometimes it happens very immediately. God gives you a divine appointment, just like he did for Jesus with this woman. They never met each other before. God may give you just this divine moment where your cart bumps into somebody in the supermarket and you have the chance to share truth with them. But that's not usually how it happens. Usually it happens over time. Usually it's relationship that builds and builds because someone sees your life and sees your character and sees the opportunity that they know that they can put their their trust or their confidence in you. This is why Peter said in 1 Peter 2, we looked at this last week, live such good lives among the pagans. Isn't that a very friendly word, pagans? What's it mean? It means those who do not accept the truth of God's word. It's not, a, it's not a negative connotation there. It's just a statement of fact. And he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If you hope to be able, and this is parents in the life of your kids, this is 
husband and wives, in the life of your spouse, this is in the life of your coworker or your neighbor or your family member, if you hope to be able to live truth, to speak truth in love to them, it cannot happen without relationship. I remember when I was in, when I was in high school, there was, a, there was a season of time where I was um, really like, like pretty full of myself. Does, that, does anybody relate to that? There was a lady in first service who was just kind of like, hmm, like, you were full of yourself? You know, it was this kind of thing. And um, she won't be back for Easter. So that's, um, so, so she, I, was, I, was, I was like, I had like some just bad attitudes, right? And uh, it wasn't good, but I was, I was cool. I was, I was fine. Everything's perfect. And I remember one, one Wednesday night in our youth group at church, we, we had youth group in our old sanctuary. There was old beat up kind of vinyl covered pews. And this lady named Chris came walk, after service, she came walking across the, the whole room. And, I, and she was a little lady, and, and, she, and I'd known her almost my whole life. And she came right up to me, and uh, kind of right in front of me, and she says, do you have a minute? And, and typically, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm busy, this kind of thing. But it was Chris. I've known her for years. She has played a valuable role in my life. And she says, do you have a minute? And I was like, yeah, can I, because I have a relationship with her. And she called me out. And she did it. She says, I just really feel like God's put in my heart that I'm supposed to talk to you about. And it was like um, she was reading my mail. And typically, and you're probably this way too, you call me out, I'll call you out, right? Puts the dukes up. But not with Chris. You know why? Because she had relationship. And I knew that anything she said to me, she said out of love because she cared about me. If we think we're going to have the ability to speak in anyone's life, if we think God's going to use us to be agents of grace for him, we've got to realize it starts when people know that we love them and that we care about them. Everything begins with relationship. Do you agree? Okay, number two. Here's a second thing to remember when you feel like you're asked of the Lord to speak the truth in love. Number two, the truth may be hard to believe. The truth may be hard to believe. Sometimes we think if I just speak the truth, if I just communicate it, if I just prove to people out of Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, that God's word is true, then they have to believe it. And we have to remember that sometimes the truth is hard to believe. Look what happened to Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. They're having a conversation using all the same words, but out of different dictionaries, aren't they? Because Jesus is talking about spiritual things. She's talking about physical things. He's saying, I can give you a spiritual water that you will never thirst again. And she says, can you give me the hookup so I don't have to keep coming back to this well? She sees physical. 
he sees spiritual. They're saying two different things because sometimes the truth is hard to believe. Sometimes the truth is hard to understand. Sometimes it takes time for people to see and understand what it is that you're trying to communicate to them. When you speak truth, it might not be immediately understood. And we get, we get frustrated and sidetracked in our faith sometimes because we feel like or we expect that as soon as I speak truth, shafts of light will come down from heaven and angels will sing and their eyes will light up and a pool will emerge and I will baptize them in that moment. But that's not always how it happens. Here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age... When Paul says that, he's not talking about Jesus. He's not talking about God. That's why it's all in lowercase there. He says, the God of this age, speaking about Satan and how the devil has been given authority in the world in this time, he says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reason the truth is sometimes hard to believe is because the enemy has put blinders on the eyes of those who have not accepted and received the truth. And they can't see. They can't understand what you're trying to say to them. Oftentimes, like this lady, because they're so focused on what physically is in front of them, that they can't see and understand what the truth really is. Do you remember? I don't know if it's still like this in, in school, but it was when I was a little kid. When I, when I was a kid, sometimes in the middle of, not sometimes, every day, like I was in second grade, I remember this clearly, we would stop and take a little milk break in the middle of the morning. Do you remember that? Did anybody else have that? Okay, yeah. So, you, you know, they, they do a count in the morning. You want chocolate milk, you want white milk, and then they bring it at a certain point. So we were there one day, second grade. I remember this so clearly. I'm sitting there, and uh, they brought us our little cartons of milk. And so I'm sitting there. I got my little carton of milk. got a little straw in it. It was kind of, you know, we're there. And we were doing this project in second grade where we were cutting stuff out, and we were gluing it on a piece of paper. So I had my carton of milk over here, and I had my bottle of Elmer's glue over here. Do you know where this story's going? All right. Any of you ever tasted glue? I've had a big slurp in my life. Because as I was working away a little here with my second grade diligence, I reached up to get a drink of milk and I took a big slurp of Elmer's glue. Because I was so focused here that I couldn't see the truth of what was really out there in front of me. And so many times people are so focused on what's going on in their life. They're so driven by their needs like this woman was that when there's spiritual truth right there in front of them, they're just grabbing for whatever is the easiest and the quickest and whatever they need. And it's hard sometimes for us to accept real truth. Instead, we're sucking down substitutes that just really leave a bad taste in our mouths. I think my teacher was glad I couldn't talk for a week. But other than that... Look, we've got to recognize that sometimes the truth for other people can be very hard to believe. Which is where, okay, when you and I are in situations, whether it's with another brother or sister in Christ, or whether we're just sharing our faith with someone we care about, this is where it gets derailed really quick. Because we want the, we want the easy answer. Because if I understand it, how come you don't understand it? If it's truth for me, how come it just can't be truth for you? Which leads us to the third thing that I hope that you'll recognize and remember when you go to speak the truth in love. Here it is, number three. Expect confrontation and questions. When you're going to speak truth to someone, expect that there will be confrontation and questions. Because if you don't, you can get derailed and give up and lose focus. 
you might begin to think that it's all about you trying to win or you trying to get the last word, but it's not about that. It's about God's truth going forward. So expect that in that moment there will be confrontation and questions because I'm pretty sure there may be for you because there was for Jesus. Jesus is speaking truth to this lady, and at some point, if you're going to speak truth, it's going to come to a point of, it's going to come to a point of confrontation because that's what truth does to us. Look at this, John chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus just read her mail, didn't he? So watch what she does. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What? What? I thought we were talking about your husband. She totally changed the subject. He called her out and she went, let's talk about this. Why? Well, here's a couple of things that's key to notice. The truth will always lead to a point of confrontation doesn't have to be negative it doesn't have to be condemning it doesn't have to be vindictive but here's the reality if you and i are going to talk about truth at some point it leads to a point of confrontation for them to get to the next portion of their dialogue jesus had to get her to a point to realize you know the way that things are right now aren't lined up with the truth where's your husband i don't have a husband that's right because you've had five and the guy you're with now (laughs) he ain't your husband He had to bring her to that point of reality that where she was at was not in line with the truth that God would have for us. Here's here's what I think is key about what this lady experienced. In that moment, you, you, you almost get the feeling like she experienced shame because she changed the subject so quickly. She called it out so quickly, and that's a that's a good thing. Because sometimes before we can get to a point of repentance, we have to realize what's wrong, right? One of the things that's a danger in our world, in our culture today, is that there seems to be a lack of shame. And I think that lack of shame is a danger of our time. Because if I can take the blatant disregard for truth and say, yeah, but it's legal, or yeah, but it's cool, or yeah, but everybody's doing it, then I push the shame aside. And if there's no shame, if there's no conviction, let's say, then there's no opportunity for repentance and change. So our role, this is why the truth is so important to communicate. The truth allows the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. If I will speak truth to you, if I will show you from God's word what the truth is, if I can lay truth out before you, then in that moment the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to bring conviction and then to bring change. Because sometimes I don't know what I don't know. Or I don't know what I won't see. And I'm so focused down here that I don't see the truth up here. And sometimes that's why it's so key that we speak truth. John Beckett is a, is a prominent Christian businessman. And he wrote in one of his books about um, how one day he went to the dentist's office. And he had to have some procedures done in his mouth. And so he was laying in that, in that chair and the lady came in and got him all, you know, they put that really fancy uh, stylish bib on you, right? And they put all kinds of apparatus in his mouth and he's laying there and the lady's just about to start the, the procedure and she looks down at him and she says, you're Mr. Beckett, aren't you? And he says, yes. And she goes, I want to thank you for firing my husband. And he goes, uh-oh. You know, he's like, <laughs> it was a bad moment, right? And she goes on. She says, about 10 years ago, my husband got hired to work for your business. And not too long after that, he failed a drug test. And you brought him into the office and you said, 
In no uncertain terms could you allow him to work there anymore because he'd failed that drug test and you'd have to let him go. And as he got up to leave your office, you said to him, but I want you to know this. I want you to know that this should not define your life and that your life is not over because of where you find yourself today. That if you'll take this as a wake-up call and if you will be serious about changing your life as a result of this, I believe that there are great days ahead for you. And then my husband walked out of your office. Mr. Beckett, in the last 10 years, my husband has taken your words to heart. Today, my husband is a good man. He's a good husband. He's a good father. He has a fine job. And I want to thank you because that may have never happened if you, sir, had not spoken truth to him and fired my husband on that day. Sometimes it's a confrontation with the truth. That's the only thing that's going to be a catalyst for you and I to see the transformation that Jesus can bring. We have to do that in love, right? So Jesus had to allow her to get to a point where there was confrontation. What did she immediately do? She asked questions. She changed the subject. And so many times what happens is when you and I are in a moment of a little bit of conflict, a little bit of confrontation, we want to shift the blame off of us. We want to put it somewhere else. And do you know who target number one typically is? It's God. The questioning of God will typically work its way into conversations about truth. When you and I are speaking about the truth, questioning God, challenging God. Remember when you go back to the Garden of Eden, Eve's standing there, got the fruit in her hand. What does the serpent say to her? Did God really say that? Does God really mean that? People do it all the time. How can I serve a God who seems to be so cruel? Why did God allow that to happen? Why did God make me this way? And we get to a point where we begin to challenge God and who he is because if I can take the blame off of me and put it on God, if I can take the the issue and I make it about him, if I can ask the questions in that way, it changes things. So we've been challenging God and she does it here. She goes right to this place of religion and what is the right thing and what is the real thing. And it brings us to this point of conflict because at some point we have to say, how am I going to respond? How do I speak truth to this person? How do I see what this issue is? And here's where it gets even more difficult. Because when you come to that moment, you start asking questions yourself. In fact, many of you have been expressing them to me as we've talked about this series. He's like, okay, I believe that this is God's word, but I've got a friend, I've got a cousin, I've got a sister, I've got a family member. I got a coworker, I got a neighbor who is not, they're coloring outside the lines of what God's word says is truth. And they're a good person. In fact, they say they love God. And no one's being hurt by what they're doing. So why is it any of your business to preach about it? Why is it any of my business to meddle? And when they make these decisions, should I support them? Or should I challenge them? Should I be there for them? Or does my absence speak the truth to them? And here's the bottom line. I, I don't know. It's your issue. Have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> right? Because, because at some point you have to sort something out. There's this really intriguing passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 24. or uh, Excuse me. Chapter 26, verse 4. Listen to what Solomon writes. And, and, and watch, this, watch this closely. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Solomon says, Do not... Answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, which one is it, Saul? (laughs) What do you want me to do? Do I answer a fool? Or do I not answer a fool? 
Mr. T says you pity the fool, but that's not even biblical. How does all this, how does all this fit? What's a fool? A fool is someone without wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Well, it comes from the truth. And so what you have to ask here, the question I think is, do I answer a fool or do I not answer a fool? Do I correct a fool or do I not correct a fool? Do I speak the truth to someone without truth or do I not speak the truth to someone without truth? I guess it all comes down to what kind of fool they are, doesn't it? Are they teachable? Are they open? Do they have a heart for the truth? How do I respond to this? How do I move forward? And this becomes a really, really tricky thing. You have to ask, what will they do with the truth? Are they going to reject it? Are they going to receive it? And here's the bottom line that's good for you to know. Some people will just not receive the truth. Some people just aren't going to do it. Do you remember the story where where this, this guy, in fact, Scripture refers to him kind of as a rich young ruler, comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do if I'm going to follow you? And Jesus basically says, take everything you have, get rid of it, put it in storage, sell it, and then you come with me. And it says that he went away sad because he could not accept the words that Jesus said to him. If Jesus himself had people walk away after he shared the truth with them, what do you think our track record might be? There's going to be times when people just will not accept the truth. And we have to be aware of that. And we have to understand that that may be a reality. And then we have to get past the question that says, why is anyone else's business any of my business? What motivation do I have for getting in their face or for meddling in their life or for speaking the truth to them? Is it because you're a busybody? Is it because you're a gossip or you're nosy? Or you're so full of yourself that you think you're always right? No, the reason we speak the truth is because we speak the truth in love. It's because we care about that person. It's because we want what's best for them. Here's a question that may be really good for you to ask yourself. Because I'm going to guess, maybe not for all of us, but for some of us, there's somebody that's in your mind right now. Just to be honest, i got three or four somebodies in mind that I know that it's important that they hear the truth and that I might be the one that has to speak it to them. So what do I do? How do I know how to respond? Here's a question for you to consider. Knowing what I do about the truth, what would I want someone to say to me if I were them? Knowing what I do about the truth, what God's word says about the situation and what he says the consequences might be if I, if I keep coloring outside the lines, knowing what I do about the truth, what would I want someone to say to me if I were them? If I were the one coloring outside the lines, if I were the one making those choices or decisions, if I was the one who was ignorant or ignoring the truth, if somebody cared for me, if they loved me, what would I want them to say to me? I wish Natalie, who sat next to me in second grade, would have said, you're about to drink your milk or your your glue. (laughs) I wish somebody would have said something in that moment. So what do you say? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. First is this. Remember, we're talking about more than just speaking. We're talking about living the truth. Living the truth means you let the Spirit lead you. I can't tell you exactly what to do. I can't tell you exactly how it's going to play out. I don't know what the divine moment might be when God's going to give you a chance to speak to that person. I just know this. You need to be ready so that the spirit of truth can guide you in truth to speak truth to those who need to hear it. 
And allow him to do that and to work that out in your life. Let the Spirit lead you. Here's a second thing. Living the truth means you act in love. You do what's best for that person. You love that person. You care for that person. And you, you show that by what you do. Not because you want to be right. Not because you want to have the last word. But because you love that person and you want to express that. Many of you know um, Greg Mahaney. Greg is the director with his wife April of the Chi Alpha ministry here at the University of Toledo. And Greg, after last week's message, shared this story with me. And uh, it's about a friend of his named Eric. And Eric leads a Chi Alpha ministry at a university in Texas. And Greg told me the story that years ago, Eric was um, leading a, a small group of, of, of guys. And one night he got a phone call that one of the guys in his small group was out and was drunk and was totally wasted, and he was about to go do something he probably was going to regret, and nobody knew where he was. So this guy, Eric, got another guy out of their small group, their small accountability group, and uh, they went out looking for this guy, and they're driving around and looking for this guy. When they find him, he's standing beside his car, keys in his hand, and he's about to get in his car. So Eric goes up and approaches this guy who's just wasted, and he says, hey man, um, you should not be driving. Why don't you let me take you where you need to go because you're, you're too far gone and you're either going to get hurt or you're going to hurt somebody. And the guy's like, no, man, I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't need your help. And Eric's like, no, man, you're not good. I need to help you. And he went to take his keys and the guy just reacted. And the next thing you know, they're having like this wrestling match by this dude's car and he's trying to get the keys. The guy won't give them to him. He's trying to help him and all this is going on. And ultimately what happened, Eric eventually had to deck the guy, knock him out and take his keys. So in the midst of all this, you got the other guy from the small group over here going. <laughs> right? He's trying to figure the whole thing out. And he gets the keys and the dude's, the dude's laying there. And the other guy walks over to Eric and he says, how, how, could, you, how could you do that? The guy's going to hate you. He's going to hate you forever. And Eric looks at his friend and he says to him, Look. I care more about his future than I do about his feelings. I care more about his future than I do about his feelings. So I'm not afraid to hurt his feelings if that means that I save his life. The dude, um, I'll let Eric know you clapped. The dude, um, the dude didn't talk to him for months. And eventually he came back to Eric and he said, hey man, thanks, thanks for what you did. And they eventually had a really good relationship. Eric was a mentor in his life and when this guy got married, Eric performed the wedding ceremony because he cared more about his future than he did about his feelings. When you live the truth, act in love. And one last thing, help, help people to see this. Help people to see that you don't want to be right. Help people to see that you don't want to prove them wrong. Living the truth means you point them to God's best for their life. Living the truth means you point them to God's best for their life. It's not because I'm more righteous than you. It's not because I know better than you. It's not because I just want to prove to you that what you're doing is wrong in my eyes. It's because of this. It's because God's word says this and I believe that this is truth. And I want you to know this because I believe as your friend, because I care about you and because I love you, that where you are right now is not God's best for your life. I've had that conversation over and over with people. Just in conversation. I've had it on the phone. 
I've had it in my office where I've said to people, look, I just, I just want you to know, I don't think that's God's best for you. And I've had people walk out of my office and hang up the phone and walk away from me and be very resistant to that truth. And then a couple hours later, I get the phone call. Hey, you know what? You, uh, I, got, I got thinking about that. I think, maybe, I think maybe you were right. There's one guy that didn't talk to me for a year. Literally. Not because I punched him or anything. He just didn't talk to me for years. He was ticked off. Different story. And then he came back and said, um, I, th- I think I know what you meant now. There was a phone call I got years later from states away when somebody said, I'm living on the other side of the country now, but I haven't been able to get out of my head when you said that this, this isn't God's best for me, and I think I need to make a change. Look, I'm not going to guarantee you that the moment those words come out of your mouth, that transformation is going to happen. I just know this. It's up to us to speak the truth to people. And here's what it is. Number four, I hope you'll remember this, that the truth always comes back to Jesus. The truth always comes back to Jesus. We don't have the time to read the, the rest of the story, but they have this little dialogue about spiritual things, and eventually the lady says, well, what I'm looking for is the Messiah, and Jesus says, I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. He says, look, what you are looking for, you will only find in me. At some point, it always has to come back to Jesus. Every conversation must find its way back to the truth. John chapter 1 tells us in verse 14 and verse 17 that Jesus is the one who came with both grace and truth. He is the way. He's the truth and the life. And you've got to understand this. Watch what Jesus does. When Jesus comes, he does not condemn. See, this is where the church has gotten really good at truth. Because we take our truth and we put it right in your face and say, if you're not this, then you're that. And we condemn people. What's John 3, 16 and 17 say? It says that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn. But the flip side of that is he didn't come to condone either, did he? Do you remember the story in John chapter 8 where these religious leaders bring to Jesus this woman who's caught in adultery? And they throw her down in front of him and say, there she is, we caught her in adultery. What do you want us to do? They, and it says right there in the scripture, they were trying to trick him. Because they knew that the law said that, that she had to be stoned. But Jesus also knew that these boys had their own mess that they brought with them. And so he looks at them and he says, Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. What do they do? One by one, they leave. Jesus looks at her and says, um, Is anybody left to accuse you? Now they're all gone. And he says to her, then I don't, I don't condemn you either. Now go and, do you remember what he said? Sin no more. He didn't condemn her, but he didn't condone the sin either. He didn't say go and whatever you were doing, I hope it goes well for you. He says, look, you can't, you can't keep living like that. You've come to me so I could change your life. Now you do what you need to do so that your life can be changed. He didn't condemn sin. He didn't condone sin. He just said, this is grace. This is truth. This is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to receive. In Jesus is the truth that gives us life. And that's here. 
And for some of you today, that's the most important thing you can hear. Because that's what you need to receive. And I talk about Jesus, and I talk about grace, I talk about his forgiveness. We sang that song earlier when we said, thank you, Jesus. And you just knew in your heart that things aren't right between you and him. I don't know whether that's new, or I don't know whether that's something that years ago you were right and you pushed that away. I don't know what that is. I just know this, that Jesus has come with the truth to help you to see that you need him, and he gives you the grace so that you can receive that no matter who you are or what you've done which is what puts it right back on us. Here's the fifth thing that's key for you to remember when you speak the truth in love. Number five, without the truth, people cannot be set free. Without the truth, people cannot be set free. The lady goes back into town after her encounter with Jesus, and she says to the people, you gotta, you got to come with me. There's this guy who told me everything I ever did I think this might be the Messiah. And when you read through the rest of the story, you see how her simple invitation changed their lives and they receive his grace and they receive his salvation. I want you to realize this. A simple invitation can change somebody's life. A simple invitation could make all the difference for someone. But if they don't know the truth, they may never receive the truth. If you don't share the truth, then God's truth may never be able to come to them with grace and change their lives. And just realize this, that when we fail to live the truth, we keep others from being set free. When you and I fail to live the truth, because it will be awkward, it may be confrontational, you will be asked questions you cannot answer. And at some point it comes down to this, Are people open to God's grace? But when you and I fail to live the truth, we keep others from being set free. A couple months ago, I was was on my way to an appointment and um, I got on 475 to go there and I don't know if there was an accident or whatever, but I I get on 475 and eventually I find myself just in a parking lot. You ever had that? And I'm just stuck. Traffic's not moving. We're just sitting there. That is not my spiritual gift. I'm having a rough time. And so as soon as I could, I got, I got off the highway, and I decided I'm going to take the, the, just the side streets, the, the surface roads, to be able to get where I need to go. And so I was on, on this road, and it was 40 miles an hour. And I was, I was doing 40, and let's just say I was doing it really well, okay? Kind of an overachiever, if you know what I mean. And I'm, I'm moving, and as I'm just kind of cruising, I'm in, a, I'm in a part of the city that I don't go to very often. I'm not really familiar with where I'm at, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I am trucking it, and all of a sudden, I look up, and there's a sign that says 25 miles an hour speed limit. So I have, I have two thoughts. One is, I probably better hit my brakes. Two, I wonder what those pretty blue and red lights are. <laughs> and uh, one of the area's finest pulls me over. So I, I pull over, and he pulls over beside me. He comes walking up, and I'm just praying, God, let him, let him watch WLMB. Lord, I pray they watch WLMB. But, you know, just, Lord, let him. Okay, and um, not really. Uh, guy asked me a couple of questions. Why are you going so fast? Where are you going? What are you doing? He says, I'll be back. Like, that's what I was afraid of. Comes back a couple minutes later. And he hands me this pink piece of paper. My heart drops until I look at the top and it says that it's a warning. I didn't didn't know they gave you souvenirs for warnings. (laughs) He said, sir, I I know you're not real familiar with where you're at. And he says, "Uh, I I checked. You have a a good record. Did you hear that? I got a good record. (laughs) And uh, 
he says, uh, I'm just, I must give you a warning today, but I just want you to know this is, this is what it is here. And next time it probably won't go this way. And I'm like, man, where are you going to church for Easter? Because I got a front row seat for you, right? I mean, it's just kind of, it's good. Look, you're not the cop in anybody's life. But you know people who are coloring outside the lines. And there's a price for that. Not because God's mean, but because God knows what's best for us. Because he loves us. And you may have an opportunity to pull alongside someone and say to them, look, I I know you don't quite know maybe where you're at, or maybe you're not aware of how things are going in your life, but I love you enough to speak the truth to you because I, I don't want you to miss this in your life. So would you do this? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? I don't want you to get a pink notepad and start writing out people warnings, okay? But I do want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart that there may be somebody who, who God is not just, um, they're not just at the top of your mind. The Holy Spirit's bringing them to you right now and challenging you to speak the truth to them in love. To speak words of life to them. To speak words of grace to them. To allow them to hear God's truth. And maybe it's not just what they'll hear, but they have to see it in you first. That by way of relationship, people are going to be drawn to Jesus inside of you. I don't know what it is. Maybe it is as simple as taking one of these cards on the way out the door and having a conversation sometime this week and saying, what are you doing Sunday morning? But would you just right now let the Holy Spirit speak to you about how he wants to use you to be an agent of his truth and his life to those who need to hear it. And in this moment, you may say, that's, that's, that's me. I need Jesus to be the truth in my life. I've been chasing after things. I've been blinded long enough. And today, I need his grace and his forgiveness. If that's you, then as I pray this prayer, I pray you'd be open to let God bring his change to your life today. Father, we love you. Lord, thanks for your word that speaks to us. Thanks for your spirit that challenges us. And Lord, we know that what we do is not by our own strength or might or power, but it's by your spirit. And so Lord, if there's, if there's one here today, Father, who needs your grace in their life, would you allow them to be open to that truth and let it impact their hearts in this moment? And Lord, if you want to use me, if you want to use one of us to speak truth to someone this week, to share your love with someone in a way that's a partnership of both grace and truth coming together in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, that if you, if you want to set someone free, by the truth that we have to offer. God, would you do that through us? Would you give us the courage and the strength? Would you give us the insight and the divine appointment? Lord, we offer ourselves to be used of you. Now as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Grab one of these cards as you go. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.